Hey, what's good, jazz fans? Welcome to Jabber Jazz, your home for ad-free Utah jazz basketball talk from an analytical emphasis and from a jazz fan perspective as well. I'm your host, Adam Bushman. You can find me on Twitter at Adam underscore Bushman. And today we have a really awesome special edition of the podcast where we are going to have our first preview of the 2023 NBA draft. We're a quarter of the way through the season and no better time than now to tackle an early preview of what that draft might look like, especially with the Jazz uh, having such draft capital therein. And there's no person better to do this with me than Jazz superfan Josh Roberts, who also incidentally just posted his latest big board for this upcoming draft. Massive college basketball fan, KU Hoops. Josh, thanks so much for coming on, man. No, thank you. I don't know about that. I'm sure there are plenty more people that um, are more qualified to talk about draft stuff than I am, but I appreciate the invite. Yeah, I'm more than happy to share some of my opinions for sure. So if you're watching us on YouTube, you'll be able to see right below our faces, uh, Josh's Twitter handle at J-A-Y-J-A-Z-Z-3. Uh, and you'll also be able to find it in the description below of the podcast version. Uh, please go give him a follow. Uh, and we're, we're really looking forward to getting all his takes. If you like what we're doing, uh, please consider subscribing to the podcast, following us on Twitter at Jabber underscore jazz, leaving a review or a comment in the podcast or on the YouTube video as well, you know, helps this circulate to everybody. And uh, also consider snagging some Jabber Jazz merch. It helps uh, keep these podcasts and videos coming every week. Well, without further ado, let's Jabber Jazz. All right, so the 2023 draft, Josh, uh, it's really unique uh, for a few reasons in that uh, there's a generational superstar, kind of a, a deep star player pool. Also, the Jazz have three picks. Um, speaking for myself, I always feel like I get started on draft stuff a little later than I'd like, and uh, if it, it almost kind of feels like I'm playing catch up, but uh, you're kind of the opposite approach where, you know, you're keeping an eye and checking in a lot more frequently and early on in the process. Just generally speaking from, from your analysis of the draft overall, uh, speak to how unique you feel it is uh, relative to the drafts we've had in the past. Um, every draft is a little, is unique, right? And in its own way. Um, Wemben Yama, I think, makes it really unique um, just because of, of how good he is, kind of like you already mentioned. Um, and I think we've already seen with some teams, they recognize that. Spurs, OKC, maybe the Jazz, maybe we're hitting a little bit to that, kind of in the offseason with all the trades they, ma they made, kind of understanding or showing that they recognize some of the talent that, that was in this draft. But... I think he is obviously the one that makes it the most unique. Others have talked about how deep the draft is, but I mean, diving into it a little bit more, I mean, it's I don't think it's the deepest draft we've ever seen. I think we're getting maybe a little bit crazy with that, but yeah. There's some there are a, a lot of talented players for sure, but the hard thing always with the draft is um is kind of pinpointing and figuring out which one of those guys are, or which of the guys are going to stick, right? Yeah, yeah. Because um, they're not all going to hit. I mean, we can go through guys we really like, and you're not going to get 100% in the draft. There's not going to be 15 superstars, all-stars, all-NBA guys that are going to come out of a draft. That never happens. I mean, the best ones, looking back, 
you maybe have a handful, right? Four or five, six, maybe. So I don't think we need to get like I I kind of got overhyped into this draft thinking like, oh my gosh, there's just gonna be so many, but there I think there will be some, but maybe not as many as I don't know, we're hoping for. But we'll see. You never really know with the draft. That's yeah. what's kind of fun about it. Yeah, I 100% agree. And, uh, you know, you, you teed it off kind of right right up there. Uh, Josh's big board, if you're watching on YouTube, you'll be able to see as we go through all the players that he has ranked and, and uh, grouped together in tiers. Uh, but he has four tiers that he's set up for the first round. So we're going to go through those four tiers, kind of talk through them, uh, discuss the players that uh, are ranked therein, and kind of hit on some of the, the interesting comparisons. Uh, also, a, a little bit of the hot buzz around some of the players as well, um, and, and kind of get Josh's perspective on, on players uh, moving around within those tiers uh, or maybe jumping or falling from them. So you, you teed it off right at the start. Victor Wembanyama, he is in your, your top tier. Uh, everybody's anticipating he'll go number one overall. And unless you've been living under a rock, uh, unless you've been living under a rock, you know about uh, the Wembanyama sweepstakes, the alien, um, and this guy you've put in your tier one, which you've labeled as best player in the league potential. And that's not your average scenario, but just, hey, if everything is breaking right for the players in this, in this tier, you know, they're best player in the league type thing. So explain why Victor fits that kind of potential for you. You know, a lot of us have seen the highlights. A lot of us have heard third hand or have kind of developed our own opinions. But from your perspective, why does he fit this kind of a bill? Yeah, I mean, I think you hit on it. I'm not seeing anything different than you and everybody else is seeing. I mean, kind of the way I see him is he's basically Rudy Gobert, but he can handle the ball, he can score, he can shoot. I mean, all the things we wish we wish Rudy could have done, right? I mean, that was kind of the knock on Rudy. Like, he's just he can impact the game so much defensively, but he's really limited offensively where Vic, he can still impact the game defensively. We've seen that. I mean – the last highlight I watched him, it looked like he was playing a bunch of middle school kids. He's kind of just hanging out in the paint. He's just he's just swatting like flies. I mean, it looks like it's not even hard. He's almost bored out there, right? And so it's that's not usually the case, right? A lot of times, especially with the NBA, I mean, you have these offensive talents that are just incredible. They can shoot. They can dribble. They can score at all three levels. But a lot of times they leave a lot to be desired on the defensive end. And that's not the case with – I mean, he's like – Something you'd create out of 2K, right? Everybody's talking yeah. about that. He's huge. He can do everything. I mean, I don't really think he has any weaknesses in his game. I think, honestly, he's, he likely is going to have go down a Hall of Fame path. I mean, you could make the argument and somehow that he's the best NBA prospect ever. Like, better than LeBron, Kareem. I mean, pe people are throwing that out there. On yeah. paper, as a prospect, I mean, that's what he looks like. Obviously... He's got to get on the court, right? And he's got to play. He's got to stay healthy. He's got to. He's got to prove himself. But from what we've seen, he looks incredible. Yeah. So for for those of you who don't know a ton about Victor Wembanyama, uh, he's a French prospect, uh, young kid. Uh, different sites have him measured between seven foot two inches and seven foot four inches. Um, right there around 230 pounds. Uh, you know, he'll be turning 19 here pretty soon. 
and, and you kind of hit on it, Josh. He does everything, and it's because offensively, he plays like a wing, right? He can handle the ball. He can hit the fadeaways. He can post you up. He can slash inside, and, uh, you know, he can pull up from deep. And he's got, you know, incredible range, incredible skill sets. You mentioned scoring at three levels. And so at that size, to be playing like a wing is really special. But then on the defensive end, he plays like a switchable big, right? He protects the rim. And in a, a recent uh, scrim, not a scrimmage, but a recent exhibition with the G League Ignite, he was out on the perimeter getting switched on to uh, Scoot Henderson, who we'll talk about in a little bit, who's in your tier two uh, point guard, who is up to this point consensus number two overall. And he was knocking the ball away from Scoot. And Scoot, you know, had plenty of, of his own opportunities to get by Victor and, and to score on him and such. But to be holding his own and be competing out on the perimeter at that size with everything he does at the rim defensively and then all over the court on offense, it, it really is freakish, alien-like, you know, out of this world we've never seen it. Absolutely. And everybody wants Vic on their team, right? I mean, that's, I think, the incentive to some of us Jazz fans wanting to see the Jazz lose games because if, if, I mean, if you get that caliber of player on your team, there's a good chance you're going to be winning a lot of games in the future. And so I don't, I mean, I think everybody's been said about, about Wembenyama at this point. There's nothing really else to be said. I mean, he's an incredible prospect. That those exhibitions were awesome with Scoot because you're right. Scoot had great games too. He was kind of going at them. They were going at each other. But in my opinion, it's Vic's up on his own tier by himself alone. Um, I saw a draft board today, actually, a big board that had Scoot going one and, and Victor mm -hmm. going two. But I I just I personally can't see that. I mean, everybody kind of has their own opinions, and and mine are what they are. But um, I think that he's He's that guy. He can be the best. He could potentially be the best player in the league. Um, I mean, look at Luca. Like we were kind of having these conversations about Luca, what yeah. four or five, six years ago. People were like, "Oh, he's over in Europe. He's a European. He's slow. He's not athletic. He's really skilled, but he's going to yeah, come over soft. here. And, right, exactly. Yeah. He's going to come over here and start playing against men, which he already was in, in the Euro League, and he's not going to look the same. And the the smart people that knew what what they saw with Luke like, he's going to come over here. He's going to continue to dominate. That's exactly what he's done. And I think when is going to do the same thing. Granted, I don't think he's playing against quite as good a competition as Luca was. He's not, I don't think he's in the Euro league. I don't know if he's in some French league or his competition has been a lot more inferior, but he's dominated, I think with the French national team. And, and I don't know if it's the U18 stuff, but yeah, anyway, I love Vic. I think he's going to be awesome. Yeah, yeah. When yeah, night in and night out, he's not playing the the best players in Europe. But when he came over in the exhibition game, I mean, he torched the G, G League Ignite both games. You know, in the U eighteen, uh, um, you know, uh, championship games. You know, he was going up against Chet Holmgren, who went uh, number two overall in this past draft. Lit him up. Right. So when he's been facing the best competition, he's absolutely showed out and displayed all the skills. Now you pegged it, Josh. Unfortunately, uh, there's there's only one of this guy in, in this tier, as, as we know now. And 
for a team that has a single pick in the lottery, your best chance at, at, uh, at securing that number one overall pick is 14%, meaning 86% of the time you are missing out on Victor Wembanyama. Right. Now, the Utah Jazz having potentially a couple picks in the lottery in addition to the Orlando Magic who will who are likely to have a couple picks in the uh, the lottery. Those those odds can improve a little bit. But uh, but ultimately more times than not, you're going to be losing out on Victor Wembanyama. So we're going to focus most of our attention here on Tier 2, uh, which I'm really excited about. Um, just a reminder, please tune into the YouTube version. You'll be able to see Josh's big board. You'll be able to uh, see us talking about uh, the players as well. So let's talk Tier 2 then. So you have uh, Scoot Henderson, number 2 overall. Amon Thompson of the Overtime Elite, number three. Cam Whitmore, Villanova, number four. Osar Thompson, number five. Again, Overtime Elite. Nick Smith Jr., Arkansas at six. Brandon Miller, Alabama at seven. Anthony Black, Arkansas. That's tier two. You've kind of labeled this your all-NBA potential group that, uh, hey, everything breaks right for these guys. That's the type of potential they have. Obviously, your average outcome, you know, for several of these, you know, are going to be flat-out misses, not in the league in three years. And, and you know, some of them will carve out long careers as role players and such. But that that's the type of potential we're talking about in this group. Um, so I wanted to ask you, as we kind of look in the main area where the Jazz are likely um, to either draft or have a position to maybe scoot into the the very end of it, you know, if they make a lot of their assets available. Instead of uh, positions or needs the Jazz maybe want to fill, what styles are you looking for? What styles of play, player archetypes, do you feel, hey, that's that's the archetype that we need in the league? That's the player you can't have too much of. This is the, this is the skills that, you know, translate to a long successful career or, or that most match up to this all NBA potential. What kind of stuff are you looking for from that point of view? Yeah. I mean, um, everybody's looking for wings, right? I mean, I think we've been talking about that. Um, guys, everybody, NBA, um, heads have been talking about wings for the last probably five years or so. And, and that's that's what the Jazz really need. But if I was the Jazz, I mean, I'm looking for a number one option, essentially. That's my yeah. top priority is you're, you've got to find a guy that can essentially hopefully be a top 10 player, somebody that can carry your team to the finals, right? I mean, Jazz fans, we know, we know playoff success and mediocrity and regular season success. And, and some fans... They love that, right? They love going to the playoff games. Me personally, I would love to see a championship at some point before I die. And you oh, gotta yeah. have a you gotta have a top ten player to get you there, right? And Danny's traded and got us a bunch of really good pieces, but we don't have that on our team. Some people are hoping that that Larry maybe makes a jump and becomes that, but um, I don't see it really. And so, hopefully, if the Jazz can squeak their way into tier two. That's what they should be looking for, right? I mean, that's what everybody's looking for. You're looking for a generational players, somebody that can change your franchise. You're looking for LeBron or KD or Magic, or you're looking for those guys. And I think we kind of already talked about that's what Vic is. But yes, in this tier, I think there are some guys that have that potential. Um, 
now it's it's coming down to finding who they are. I mean, Tony Jones threw out a comparison of Brandon Miller on mm. social media comparing him to Paul George. And Jazz fans know that draft really well, right? The oh, one yeah. With Gordon Hayward and mm-hmm. But I mean if you can get one of those players, that's what you want. You want a Paul George, you want a Gordon Hayward, a Kawhi Leonard, somebody like that. Um I mean speaking of Paul George, he still he's, hasn't ever quite gotten to that. I don't know if he's necessarily 100% in alpha. He obviously had to go to, to L.A. to kind of team up with Kawhi, and they still haven't got it there, but maybe even somebody better than that. But And we can we can jump into to, to that comparison maybe in a little bit about how much I, I, I do and don't like that comparison with Brandon sure. Miller. But, but that's that's the guy you're, you're hoping to get, right? Yeah, yeah I would agree. Um... You know, the, the league is continually trending, you know, uh, positional size and, um, and a scalable skill set. So it's not just, you know, running seven footers across the board out there, but rather, hey, can we get as much positional size, you know, at every, every one of the spots on the floor, but who can handle the ball, who can get in the lane, who can... Uh, you know, shoot open shots and, you know, who can, uh, you know, defend at their position, that kind of stuff. Um, so, yeah, I, I would definitely agree with that. Um, there's there's a lot of options here, honestly. Uh, and one that you kind of have uh, high higher up at uh, number four, Cam Whitmore, um, six, seven uh, wing, 225 pounds, uh, 18 and a half years old. He's playing for Villanova. He is that big physically imposing you know wing and it's interesting because he's only played one game i believe that was sunday um, against that, oklahoma mm-hmm. yeah that was his first game and this is a guy who you know has been talked about kind of up here in this draft but without starting the year um, with villanova missing you know a handful of games to start the season uh, i feel like he's been under talked about do you kind of feel like he has um, he, that he fits this this archetype of hey this positional size somebody who can dominate um, you know offensively hold their own defensively and be that that scalable wing to to everything you kind of need? Yeah, I mean Cam fits that bill in terms of size and, and ability. I mean, in terms of being an alpha number one option, somebody that can kind of go get his own, like like a Paul George or a KD or a Kawhi. I mean, I think that's probably the area of his game that he needs to work on the most. But, but yeah, for those of you that aren't familiar with Cam, which is 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 probably most of us, honestly, because like Adam said, his first game was against Oklahoma. I think he played maybe twenty minutes, right, um, yes. scored about seven points, something like that. He looked okay. Um, Surprisingly, again, kind of to, to go back a little bit with this draft, one thing that's really unique about this draft being so touted and hyped is a lot of these guys haven't played. Derek yep. Whitehead has kind of just gotten back into it. Kalel Ware, Derek Lively, Cam Whitmore, Nick Smith Jr. We'll kind of talk about some of these guys, but some of them had kind of minor injuries that they've held them out for, or weird stuff like that. I think Jalen Hood Shafino just had a weird back injury last week. He's probably going to miss some time. And so that's been kind of a bummer because a lot of the guys at the top of the draft aren't in college, right? That we watch that much. You got Vic and then you got Scoot. You got the, the Thompson twins that are in the G League or the Thompson twins. Sorry, they're, they're playing for um, overtime, overtime elite. Yeah. 
And so it's like not everybody watches those, but people have accessibility to, to college, but we haven't been able to see a lot of these guys. And, and that's, yes, the case with Cam too. But the nice thing about Cam is there's a ton of film on Cam. You can see his um, his U18 America, his FIBA basketball stuff. In my mm. opinion, watching that film, out of all of, of those guys that were on on that team, in my opinion, Cam was the best player on that team. And you could argue that that's, that's my opinion, obviously, but his film popped the most to me. Like Cam, Cam is an explosive athlete. I think that's kind of the biggest draw and appeal to Cam is he is explosive. Like he can get on top of the rim Mm -hmm. in a lot of ways. He can do it his own. He's a lob threat. He's a, he's a pretty good slasher to where guys can find him and he can dunk on top of your head. Um, his handle, um, I think needs a little bit of work. It's, I think it's gotten better just watching the little bit that he played in Oklahoma. Um, but yeah, I, I'm, he's my favorite guy. That's not Victor Wimbanyama and everybody kind of has their guy. I mean, we'll see if, if can be, can become that type of player, um, in the league, but I'd keep my eye on him. I've got a couple of games for Jazz fans maybe to watch. Um, I think Villanova's got a game against UConn coming up that will be fun to see um, him play against a ranked team, a really good team. Yeah. But um, we got to see more of Cam. Um, I'm excited to see more of him. But, yeah, I like Cam a lot. Yeah, he's, uh, he's an interesting guy because I, I kind of feel like um, with – Several of these guys in in international or some of these other leagues who have been playing for months now, and have been getting all of the the highlights and the buzz on social media, and then not starting the season, and Brandon Miller's showing out. You know, Anthony Black is turning heads, and Gigi Jackson. You know, we'll talk about him in a little bit. I kind of feel like Cam is a little bit just getting overlooked, and with you having him fourth on the board. That's the type of guy I wonder if hey, he has a good showing out in college, but uh, doesn't necessarily pop because people didn't have eyes on him from the beginning of the process. And you, you, you know, you might be seeing him slide to six or seven, and then all of a sudden, like that's just a no-brainer type thing. So I don't necessarily. Th- so this is my opinion um, on Cam. I. I don't think Cam honestly needed to play a, a day of college basketball. If Cam's injury would have kept him out, I still think he would have gone top 10. I probably would have taken him top five, like I said. Yeah. People know who Cam is. He's an All-American. Like, people have seen Cam. Like, they know who he is. But the kind of the funny thing this year is we are, we are digging into the draft a little bit earlier than people typically do, that typically yeah. that I do. Um, a lot of times people start getting into it January, February. People will start watching conference tournaments mm-hmm. and stuff, getting ready for March Madness, and people dive into it. And so I don't think it's really going to be an issue for Cam where he's getting into the season a couple weeks late. Honestly, people probably won't even remember that he missed the first few games. Yeah, that's fair. Um, and so I think Cam's that talented that he's he's going to be a high draft pick regardless. But um, – yeah, there's always that risk, and we'll have to see. Obviously, guys got to stay healthy, right? Because we see that every year. Guys will slide down draft boards a little bit, like you said, because of injuries. As long as he this doesn't linger, he doesn't have any issues, I don't think it's going to be a problem for him. I think he's going to be up there at the top of people's boards. Um, but, yeah, I mean, 
or the other thing that could that could potentially make him slide is he doesn't show out as well as we we would maybe expect. Um, but again, I don't really see that either. I mean, he looked better than Derek has. Derek has struggled a little bit to kind of get back into things. Kalel Ware, same thing with his injury. Um, Derek Lively, they've they've had really slow starts. They don't look very comfortable. I think Cam's going to be fine. So some of the other wings here in this draft, we mentioned the Thompson Twins. They are playing for overtime elite. Uh, you, you've probably already seen quite a few highlights from them just because they've been playing for quite a while. You know, they did a tour over in Europe. Uh, you know, they, uh, they've been doing a ton of stuff here domestically as well. Um, so you've got, you've got the two twins, Amon, uh, who kind of fancies himself a little bit more in that guard role. Um, you know, he will dominate the ball. Wicked, wicked passer. Um, whereas I feel like Asar is a little bit more of your off ball wing type a little bit. I think he has, um, maybe, maybe a little more crisp shot. I mean, they're both not excellent shooters, but I think Asar maybe comes a little more natural, um, uh, to him. Um, but they're both just, just incredible, incredible athletes, you know, um, People have, you know, compared to the level of athlete of Vince Carter, Tracy McGrady, you know, those those kinds of players, you know, lofty, lofty comparisons. But you, you look at them and, uh, you know, it's just effortless, effortless. So these guys are, you know, six foot seven, you know, the, they're not yet 20 years old. Um, now, what's interesting is Amon is usually kind of slotting right into that uh, that third overall pick on, on most boards, whereas Osar, you know, who I kind of see as a little bit more uh, leaning on the wing type versus, uh, you know, lead guard, um, I kind of feel, I've kind of been observing that Osar can oscillate between five, pick five and seven almost, and you currently have him at, uh, at five, so only a, 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 a only a gap of two positions on the big board. Do you feel like? Am I translating your board correctly in that you feel like they are pretty close facsimiles of each other in terms of the type of prospect, um, you know, high high level prospect you're getting? And do you kind of feel like with a three to five pick gap between them that Asar could really be be the value? Yeah, I mean, I've that's a good question. I've I've actually I've been a little bit more impressed with Asar than Amen, just in kind of the recent performances. Amen yeah. is statistically over at Overtime Elite this season. He's he's struggled a little bit, um, especially with his shot. I mean, when I look today, I think he's shooting like 20 percent from three, something like that. Where Asar is shooting like 45 percent. Granted, these are small samples; they're only for about five games over there. I think Asar's only got about 16 attempts up to this point. But yeah. just watching film and highlights, I think his shot looks good, honestly. A lot like Cam's. I've heard some people, they have some concerns about Cam's jumper and Asar's jumper. and um, I, I'm not that worried, honestly. And So this might be my hot take. I might at some point have Asar in front of a man. Um well, that would, that would indicate a big potential value then, because uh, I, I would be surprised if Asar, just based off of you know the, uh, I guess the narratives that have been built thus far, yeah. um, uh, there's no way Asar is going over on men at this point. And so you know if, if you kind of feel like uh, 
you know, that he could slide ahead of him in your board as time, as things go on. I think that could be tremendous value potential. Yeah, they're both really good players. I mean, that's, I think, at the end of the day, that's what it comes down to. And, yep, you're right. I'm, I'm definitely in the minority, probably, in my feelings there. And it's hard, I think, to kind of read into just a few games in this Pro-Am League that they're playing in. Um, or whatever it is with overtime elite um, to read in kind of statistics and highlight and stuff there. But you're not going to get a bad player with either one of them. That's, but you're right. Their archetypes are a little bit different. That's a man has kind of been pegged as he's, he's an on ball guard. I mean, as a playmaker, but Asar does a lot of the same things. He can play make too. um, maybe not quite to the extent of, of a man, but yeah, you might see maybe Asar go four and a man go five, or you might see a man go three and Asar go six or seven. I mean, in my opinion, this tier is it's all interchangeable. I've got like mm, nine yeah. or ten guys. They're all really talented. Um, but I like Asar a lot. I think I think my comp for for maybe a man would be like all NBA level Ben Simmons back in 2020. I mean, Ben Simmons was averaging what 16. I think he averaged 16, eight and eight in two steals. He was, uh, he was all defense, all all NBA. And granted people hear the Ben Simmons word and they freak out and they're like, Oh my gosh, Ben Simmons, he's a bust. He can't shoot. But it's like, no, Ben, Ben was an incredible, I mean, top level player for a little bit there for a couple of years. And I think Asar and a man are already kind of, ahead of him and their jumper obviously even though that's kind of what they get um that's their weakness that people point to a lot of times they can pass they can defend they can shoot they can do all of this stuff but or they can't shoot is kind of the knock right yeah and so i mean think of prime ben simmons but i guess maybe with with more potential more versatility um more tools um those are scary players in my opinion yeah, at the very least, they're demonstrating a willingness to shoot. And if given the green light at the NBA level, if they're willing, you know, the, and they got the green light, they'll take them. And you can see how even on the Jazz, Taylor Horton Tucker, he is not a good shooter by any means, right? He's nearing 400 attempts for his career, career 27% three-point shooter. But you can already see that he's generating some gravity just by being willing to shoot out there, right? I mean, you see... Um, You see Jared Vanderbilt, people won't get within 10 feet of him because he never takes a shot. If one goes in, hey, props to you, Vando. We will not be closing out on you again, right? Whereas on Taylor Horton Tucker, he makes one three in the game, and you're like, okay, we want to stay semi-attached to him within five feet, right? And so just being willing to shoot, that's part of why Ben has – you know, has found holes in his game and has lacked confidence is because of that unwillingness to shoot. Out of this tier, um, I'm curious, who are you who are you scared might slip out of this tier for you? Who after after you know we go along this process and uh, and, and we see more of them, who who are you worried worried might slip out of this all NBA potential type tier? I think people are going to be a little bit surprised to hear this, but I would say Brandon Miller, honestly. Um, and that, again, might be a little bit of a hot take. I I like all of these guys. I'd love to say none of them because I feel pretty confident that these guys are all really talented. I mean, I can see them having a lot of success in the league, but 
the reason I would say Brandon Miller is let's jump into that comparison that, that Tony made. We'll kind of go back. Yeah. Shout out to Tony. We love Tony. Um, oh yeah. He talked about how he saw Paul George and Brandon Miller's game and in terms of their perimeter game, Brandon Miller, Paul George, I see it. Like I can see the Paul George comparisons there. Um, but the one thing that I think might hurt Brandon Miller, um, is he's not even close to the athlete of Paul George, in my opinion. Mm. Um, he doesn't, his first step is almost non-existent. Um, another guy that I'll kind of shout out and throw out to you guys is Keandre on Twitter. You can follow him. He's at Hoop Intellect. He does a lot of draft yeah. breakdown of guys. I think he does really good work. He just released one of Brandon Miller not too long ago, maybe a week, few days ago, and he touched on this. He's not great at creating separation, um, which is what, push off P. I mean, that's kind of his signature. Move. <laughs> Paul George, he can get past you with that first step, get in the lane, and then create kind of some of that separation there with that bump and he finishes, right? We've seen that for how many years from Paul George. He's just an incredible... Paul George can score at every level. Right now, Brandon Miller's putting up huge numbers because he's shooting lights out from, from three. Like, he's just shooting the heck out of the ball. Close to like 50%. And, and I don't know if that's going to be sustainable, and so, and the other thing that Keandre pointed out is he's he's just really he's really poor at finishing um, at the rim. I think he's like in twenty thirtieth percentile out of all the guys in in college right now at finishing to the rim. So, I think he's got some work to do. He might slide a little bit if his shooting percentages from three drop down to maybe high thirties. I mm. think you might see him slide a little bit. He's not a great athlete. I think. Some people really like him because his length, I mean, makes it seem like he can cover a lot of ground and he can create a little bit of separation by shooting over the top of guys because he's so big. But that would be my take. Um, and I could yeah. be completely wrong. I mean, he could come into the league and, and be Paul George and, and that guy that you want. But if I had to pick one, he would probably be the one that I would say. Well, I, I believe you know, as of as recent as a month ago, you know, he was borderline top 10 in the mock drafts. Right, you know, in in these big boards, and so it's really his hot been, shootings pushed him up. Yeah, it's been this this uh, you know it's been this real surge to start the season. If this continues, right, all season long, or you know, eighty percent of it, okay, yeah, you know, like he, this he's going to be he in is. this tier. He's, yeah, he's absolutely, just a sniper. Yeah, you know, but you know, if uh, this crazy start also points to the you know possibility. That uh, you know, a cold stretch, you know, j just the exact opposite, you know, could be in store. And if it were, you know, he's probably, you know, about the player we always thought he was. But uh, it just so happened that hot start came right at the start. Um, the uh, the player archetype that uh, that I'm starting to to think about quite a bit is um, is a modified version of your three and D player, and it's a three D and D. And that last D is drive. You know, you can't, I don't think we can afford anymore to just have somebody who's just camping out in the corner 100% on offense and can't do anything else. And that was kind of the pigeonhole that we forced Royce O'Neal into um, during his time with the Jazz. That, uh, hey, you know, space the floor, you get an open shot, shoot it. And I think that, I think that hurt us. You know, he, He's showing now on Brooklyn where they need him to show more that uh, he can uh, he can drive to the hoop, you know, uh, attack a closeout. But that's the that's the archetype. I, I think three D three and D. Uh, 
it's becoming less and less valuable. You need to be able to punish a hard closeout and to really pay, play make and read the defense afterwards. Doesn't mean you need to find your own shot. Doesn't mean you have to weave through uh, the remaining defenders and, and finish fantastically. Just be really smart attacking that closeout, build off the advantage. Um, that's something that, you know, in an average to, I don't know, 75th percentile for Brandon Miller, I, I could totally see. Yeah, you're absolutely right. And I think we've talked about Will Hardy, or we haven't talked about it, but we've seen that Will Hardy has talked about those are the kind of guys he wants, and those are a lot of kind of the guys that he has right now on the Jazz, guys that can what? Dribble, pass, and shoot. They say that all the time. And, yeah, that was kind of the thing with Royce is he could do the the shooting. He was a good defender, but the passing and the dribbling maybe not as much, right? And so, yeah, playmaking and shot creation I think is a skill that that is – almost not necessarily unique to those alpha those alpha players those top guys but they all can do it right i mean the best players in the league they can self-create and they can play make and and you gotta have that and so i'll worry a little bit about that with brandon miller but he could absolutely prove me wrong i mean he could he could maybe the best thing for him is to go through a cold spell this, so the rest of us can kind of see what else he can do. Maybe that yeah. That can he still impact game the game a little yeah. bit? Maybe. And so again, tons of tons of the season left. Tons of ball to still watch. I mean, these are just obviously kind of first thoughts, first takes on these guys, and, right, and we'll yeah. see as the season goes. So unless the Jazz win the lottery, right? They jump up from wherever they land with either the Minnesota pick or the Utah pick if they're able to jump up into one of those top four spots. Other than that, I think you're probably looking at a best-case scenario of being in that six to eight pick range. Um, best-case scenario, yeah. Yeah, best-case scenario. Meaning that, uh, hey, the, the Jazz are able to, quote, tank – you know, enough of the rest of the season to where they have somewhere in the, the five to nine best odds and, um, and something happens to where, you know, they're able to skew in that, uh, that six to eight range. Uh, I think that's probably best case scenario unless you hit the jackpot. So given your big board and given where, you know, a lot of the mocks are thinking about who might be available in a six to eight range, given, how high you are on certain players or, or therefore low on others, who would you be targeting in the, in the six to eight range? So on my board and I I've changed this a little bit, so it might be different than the one that you're showing, but on six, seven, eight right now, I've got Nick Smith, Jr. Anthony black and Gigi Jackson. I would, I would take them in that order, obviously depend on where they, where they landed in that six, seven, eight, nine. But if they were six, I would take Nick Smith, Jr. Um, He also just came back. We kind of alluded to this a little bit earlier. And I guess one thing I kind of want to touch on with with the Jazz and where they're at, I think Scoot in particular, which, again, likely not going to get Scoot, and mm-hmm. and Nick Smith Jr. would kind of kill two birds with one stone for the Jazz. And, and what do I mean by that? You're getting potentially a number one option on your team, and yeah. you're getting a replacement for Mike Conley. You're getting essentially um, your point guard of the future in either of those guys um, that both have really high ceilings. I mean, a lot of people are comparing Scoot to Derrick Rose, um, John Morant. Um, Nick Smith Jr., is he's a little bit taller and lankier. Um, 
haven't seen a lot from Nick yet. Um, I haven't seen him play at Arkansas. I think he's been in two or three games. I've just watched highlights. Well, that last game, for some reason, was just impossible to find, right? The, you know, he had a pretty good game. Uh, I can't remember who it was against uh, Saturday or something. But, yeah, I mean, it's hard right now. The beginning of the year, they're on, like, the SEC Network or ESPN+. Plus. It's hard, yeah, to see some of these games. And, and that's, like, another reason why people get into some of these prospects a little bit later when we start seeing them on CBS, ESPN, ABC, where people can actually watch them. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, I'll def- I would take Nick. Um, I think um, he has a really high ceiling. People like him. I mean, a 6'5 point guard. I mean, you were talking about... Um, that size um, at every position. You don't have a little Donovan Mitchell, six foot Mike Conley guy. I mean, you got five inches right there, which gives right. you the option to defend. It gives you the length there. Um, Nick, at least on some of the film that I've watched of him, he's not quite as an explosive as explosive as an athlete as as some of these other guys. Um, Scoot in particular, I guess if we're comparing to kind of point guards, he's kind of more. He seemed a little bit more kind of or shifty. Not necessarily shifty. He just he seems very kind of calm in control, mm, okay. kind of more of a heady type guy. Granted, he can still get on top of the rim with his size. Um, that was kind of my first takes of him, but he's he's probably the guy that I have number one in terms of wanting to see more of. I want to yeah, see yeah. more of Nick, but I know that people love Nick and they're super high on him. Um Let's get in. Let's another shout out to Tony. Tony threw out another comparison, NBA comparison of Anthony Black. He, um, he threw out Sean Livingston um, before his injury, okay, and when I yeah. heard that, when I heard that comparison, that one I really loved. Um, I could see that quite a bit. I mean, Anthony Black had an incredible um, Maui showing. Um, he looked super good. I think it was the Creighton game where he he just looked. He was everywhere defensively. He was he was getting out in transition off of steals, dunking it, defending. He was making just beautiful reads, um, passing the ball, everything. I mean, again, kind of the weakness of, of Anthony Black is his shot again. That's what people are worried about with Scoot, with the Thompson twins. Like, come on, guys, it's the NBA. we got to be able to shoot. It's a three-point error, right? And But, I mean, I think he's a little bit farther ahead. Tony said this then than Sean Livingston was with his jumper. And, and even Livingston got super deadly. I don't know if you guys remember with that little mid-range jumper. It was oh like it gosh. felt like he shot like 85% when he'd get in the paint. And Anyway, Anthony Black is a guy that I really would like for the Jazz. I mean, if you can kind of imagine getting a Sean Livingston player with the hype that Sean Livingston had kind of coming out of high school, um, he would be a fantastic kid. And then... Let's talk about Gigi for a second, because I think people are in love with Gigi. And in terms of the Paul George comp, Paul George, I like that a little bit better for Gigi, in my opinion, just because he can create a little bit better for himself than um, than Brandon Miller can, in my opinion. Um, he's more of that, like, throwing the ball and he's going to get a bucket for you, right? I don't yeah. think Brandon Miller can necessarily do that yet, and and those are... That's again. That's kind of your top guy, your Donovan Mitchell type player. That's what Donovan was. What what we loved him for. I mean, you could get him the ball, and Donovan would just go crazy, take over a game. He'd score thirty five, forty. I mean, he could score fifteen or twenty points in a quarter. I can see that potential with with Gigi, and that's why I think people like him. 
it's a little bit harder to kind of get an evaluation of Gigi in terms of like his ability to defend and things like that because he's on a bad South Carolina team. But Gigi's really long. I mean, he's like I thought he was like six eight, six nine. In that video that I think they recently posted that people yeah. were talking about on Twitter, they said he's six ten. And it's, and he's only seventeen years old. I mean, he's really gifted. And so there's there's some definitely some appeal there with Gigi. All these guys, again, they're we're talking about what Nick Smith is a huge point guard. Six five, Anthony Black's kind of a combo guard. He can play yeah, point six, guard, seven. shooting guard three, six seven, Gigi six ten. I mean, there's that length that you're talking about there. I would love any one of these guys on the jazz. Um, out of the three, I think Gigi probably is a little bit better at self-creation. Yeah, so Gigi is, is really interesting. Um, when you originally posted your, uh, your top 30, uh, I think this was a few days ago, right at the start of December, um, and you originally had Gigi in Tier 3, right at the top of Tier 3. You had him at number 10. Uh, and I was going to ask, you know, which of these guys do you anticipate leapfrogging into that Tier 2? And it was awesome that we hit, uh, hit it with Gigi. Uh, you, you mentioned that video. Uh, what was just crazy to me uh, is he wasn't hitting his shots, but you could see just how much separation he was getting off the dribble, and it was just compounded by his size. It, it was it was really really incredible, really really impressive. Uh, if you look at the mock drafts, he's everywhere right now. Yep. You, you know, you see him in the mid mid twenties. You know, r- right at the end of the lottery, and some people are seeing him in the top ten now. So some people have really... him in like three or four. <laughs> <laughs> so he's really, really everywhere right now. Where where do you feel like he kind of settles in? You mentioned he's on a bad South Carolina team. I mentioned that you know in some of those highlights he wasn't actually hitting his shots. So it could be that you know the stats aren't quite there, and it's really more about you know the look and the feel and concentrating on you know his body, his youth, how much separation he's getting. Realistically, do you think he stays out of the top ten? No. And so in my, um, I mean, he could, right? Obviously things are going to change a ton in the next three or four months. People are going to go up and down for the next three or four months, but I have Gigi right now today. I'd probably have him at eight and I I felt pretty good at, at, at him, at having him at that spot. Um, what was I going to say about Gigi? Um, I I was mentioning the separation. Maybe we're going to touch on that yeah um i can't remember i'm brain farting i think we've kind of we've hit we've hit gg pretty hard but oh it was his shooting splits you were kind of talking about Mm. him being on so his shooting splits aren't bad up to this point i mean he's shooting 42 percent from the field which isn't it's not great but it's not terrible it is college yeah he's shooting 37 percent from three which is okay um a little bit lower from the free throw line so he's shooting 65 percent so 42 37 65 which that's not that's not bad. It's not great. It's okay. And so, mm. I mean, he's going to be the one that um, the opposing team's best defender is going to guard. Their whole entire scouting report is going to be on Gigi, right? That's going to be even more um, more of kind of a, an advantage for the opposing team and disadvantage where he's on a bad team. It's like, we stop Gigi, we're going to beat South Carolina. That's kind of how it is on the schedule. And so, um, one, one thing to, that we'll – will be fun to watch is um, 
when South Carolina plays um, Kentucky, where they're both in mm-hmm. the SEC. Cason Wallace is a guy that I've talked about quite a bit on Twitter that I love a lot. It'll be interesting to see if Cason gets matched up on Gigi. I don't know if he necessarily will because Gigi's 6'10", Cason Wallace is 6'4", but... Um, if any of you guys watched the Kentucky-Michigan game, Jet Howard is another guy that I like a lot. He's 6'9", and Kaysen Wallace was guarding Jet some of the games, some of those possessions, and did a really good job on him. And so, I mean, we could maybe even tra- um, kind of transition over into Kaysen. I like him a ton. In terms of maybe addressing your point where you said, are there any guys maybe that I have in Tier 3 that I could see kind of jumping up in Tier 2? We talked about yeah. Gigi. Honestly, I I could see myself consolidating that whole entire tier up into tier two. Jarris Walker, Kaysen Wallace, um, Brandon Miller, I think I kind of have in between those two tiers, and Gigi. I think they all um, can do some really special things. But in terms of talking about Kaysen, he reminds me, and I tweeted this out a couple days ago, he reminds me a little bit of Mikel Bridges um, in the sense that kind of the way he looked at Villanova. He's not quite as long. I think, what is Bridges? He's maybe 6'6", six, 6'7". Six, 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 yeah, yeah, he's pretty tall. And Kaysen's not quite that long. Um, but Kaysen reminds me a lot of Mikel Bridges and Drew Holiday in the sense that those guys aren't necessarily your your number one options, but they're winning players, right? I mean, mm. we saw that that was Drew was the missing piece for Milwaukee to get their championship. Um, you've got to have players like that. You've got to have P.J. Tuckers. You've got to have Drew Holidays. You've got to have Mikel, Bridge type, Mikel Bridges type players. And I think that's what Kaysen Wallace becomes in the league. Honestly, he looks like a junior or a senior out there. He's another guy, kind of like Nick Smith Jr. in the sense that he's super, he's very in control of himself. Um, he has kind of just this calm demeanor. He's not. He doesn't get really emotional on the court. He's really level-headed, and he's just all over the place. I mean, I think he's probably the best guard defender, which Jazz fans, I think, we're looking for guys that, that can defend because that's been a weakness at the guard spot for a while, right? Um, I think he would be a great fit um, on the team, but probably not your superstar type player, maybe a borderline all-star once, once or twice, but somebody that could maybe make an all NBA defensive team an all defense team. Um, but he does things well on both sides of the court. He's shooting the ball from three really, really well. So to your point, that three and D guy kind of at the guard position, um, but not quite the self creator like Gigi. He's yeah. probably again, not, not that really go to score at this point. Yeah, in this in this range too, there there are a handful of you know your traditional seven foot bigs. You know we, you know you talk about Kilipowski. Uh, you know you also mentioned Lively earlier. Are you higher on any of these guys um, relative to Kessler? And and what's your opinion on essentially having your full rotational center spot be your traditional rolling big drop back big on defense? Uh, as opposed to what we've been seeing where, hey, half the game we get stretch five, pick and pop, passing Olenek, and half the game we get rim rolling, you know, uh, drop back to the rim and and, and defend uh, defend the cup. You know, what's your opinion on these guys relative to Kessler, who, I are, who we already have, and, uh, and playing 48 minutes of traditional center like we have in the past? 
Great question. I mean, I th- up to this point, I mean, in early December, I think Filipowski is the guy that I like out of the three just because he's looked the best. He's been able yeah. to be on the floor. Um, relative to Kessler, I don't think I like any of them more than Kessler. And I think that's probably a funny take coming from me because I was pretty low on Kessler coming out of Auburn yeah. last year. I think he got overshadowed by Jabari a little bit. And my thought was... Yeah, he can block shots, but he's just another white big, right? He's Is he going to be an Oster tag, a, a Curtis Brochard? I mean, sure. we've had plenty of these guys. Is he a Fasenko type of dude? And I think he's proven me and, and a lot of pe- people wrong in the sense that Kessler's more than just a shot blocker. I mean, he's proving that he's got great hands. He's got great awareness on the court. Um a lot better than I think we expected. He's, he's playing really well as a rookie. So I think going forward, he's he's kind of going to f- jump into that role that kind of Rudy did when Ennis was here. I think he's going to be the starting future of the center. Having said that, I mean, people might think that that's, that's crazy for me to say because Derek Lively, I think, was number one on, on ESPN's top 100. Kyle Ware, I think, was number eight. Oh, Filipowski, I think, was... 7 to 10 too. And so, I mean, these guys were really highly recruited, highly ranked coming out of high school. And I don't know. I just, I haven't been, I've like, so speaking of Filipowski, he does maybe remind me a little bit of Kaminsky in that sense that he has versatility to his game. He's not a traditional big at all. He can shoot the three. He can handle the ball a little bit. Um, I don't know if he's necessarily a great defender, but I don't think that he's terrible on that end. I like Filipowski. Um, again, I, I shy away a little bit from the white guys, um, <laughs> but he's talented. Um, watching some of his games at Duke, he's played really well. Whereas we'll have to see. I wonder if Derek Lively um, might have to come back to school another year. Um, he might just explode the second half of the season and, and start to kind of really turn into what a lot of scouts thought he would be. Same thing with Kalel Ware, but up to this point, I haven't really seen anything special out of those guys that is super appealing where I'm like, yeah, I want that dude. We need to move okay. up. We need to do what we need to do. They're huge. They're, they're talented. They're gifted. But they really haven't shown anything, in my opinion. So the most likely outcome right now, given where Minnesota is, given where Utah is, likely we're going to have two picks in this 12 to 16, 12 to 18 type range uh, out of those two. Now it's possible that, you know, Minnesota, you know, continues to stumble and, and they, you know, have that pick sneak into the lottery. And if the Jazz, you know, actually, you know, move some of the veterans and craft a roster conducive to losing, that, like we said, you know, they could slip into, you know, the back end of that tier two, you know, seven, eight pick range. But I think. At this juncture, it's most likely we have two picks in this uh, in this twelve to seventeen type range. And given your big board, and given the uh, the the players who you know could be available in that range, which two players are are you taking? Probably. I mean, off the top of my head, I'd probably pick Jet Howard. I mean, ideally, what you'd have to hope for is that somebody moves up and knocks somebody down, right? right? Yeah, and exactly. So, you're lucky that you, maybe you get lucky and Brandon Miller falls to you, Jarris Walker falls to you, Kaysen Wallace, somebody like that. Um, but yeah, Jet Howard would probably be the next guy that I would take just because he kind of fits that criteria that we 
been talking about a little bit in terms of could he potentially be a number one option? Can he be your leading scorer? Can he take over games for you? I think he has shown a little bit that he can do that. Similar to some of the, the other guys we've talked about in terms of, of maybe Cam Whitmore a little bit, um, Asar and Amen. Um, I don't know if Jet Howard has that ability necessarily to just take a guy one-on-one off the ball and just get you yeah. a bucket at this point. I mean, he's shooting the ball pretty well. He can create some separation. Um, fun fact, so Jet Howard, for those of you that don't know, he's he's a freshman at Michigan. He's Juwan Howard's son. Yep. Um, he is 6'8", 215. He's a 19-year-old freshman. He's averaging 15-2-2 two two as a freshman right now. His shooting splits are good. He's shooting 51% from the field, 44% from three. And seventy-two percent from the three, um, the free throw line, and so pretty good efficiency for a freshman. Um, and so he would be someone that that I would keep an eye on um, going forward, um, just because he's he can score the ball, and that's what guys are looking for, right? So he would yeah. be one. Um, the next one, I mean, I I kind of talked about how it's maybe a little bit lower on Keontae George on social media, but yeah. he has. He's been pretty good, honestly. He's played well against good teams, against Gonzaga, against Virginia. I mean, he's been up and down against UCLA. He's terrible. I think he had like four points. He shot like 15% from the field. He had like four turnovers. Um, he fouled out of – might have fouled out of the Virginia game. And so he's he's been a little bit up and down, but he's another one that was on – I'm pretty sure Keontae George was on um, – the U18 FIBA team with Cam Whitmore, Nick Smith Jr. with those guys, really highly recruited, touted freshman. Um, Keontae George plays at Baylor. He's a 6'4 guard. Um, he would probably be the next guy that I would look at um, besides um, Jet Howard in terms of the potential, right? I mean, we could throw out a whole bunch of other names, but I think they're likely probably more role players. Um, one that I haven't mentioned that we really need to mention, I think I'm really low on him, that this is maybe kind of a blessing in disguise for the Jazz that falls into their lap and potentially becomes a star. Their number one guy is Dariq Whitehead. Hmm. Dariq Whitehead is another guy that um, a lot of mocks pre, preseason had him going three or four. Like Dariq, um, people really like Dariq, but same thing. He's been injured. Um, he's just barely kind of getting back in the swing of things. He really hasn't played very much for Duke. They've had him coming off the bench. I mean, he played like six minutes one game, 12 minutes. I think his last game he was up to about 20 minutes, and they finally had him starting. And so I think he's getting back into the kind of the swing. He would probably be the one that has the most star potential that the Jazz could potentially get if he kind of is sliding still. Yeah. I, I don't know if that – right now people have him – I have him kind of down in the teens on my mocks, but if Dariq gets rolling, he's probably going to shoot right back up to kind of where he was preseason in that top five, ten tops. Top five, top ten spots. We'll have to keep an eye on Dariq. Well, that kind of speaks a little bit to, hey, if Dariq, you know, falls, falls, you know, out of, you know, where he was historically mocked, you know, that's the opportunity for the Jazz. He'll be, you know, slotted right to where we're going to have some picks. Whereas, you know, if he climbs back to where he was and Gigi Jackson's ascending and people like Jet Howard and stuff, you know, it's unlikely that Casey Wallace could slide into the top 10, for example. Yep. 
As we look into tier four, you know, this is this is a wide tier for you that that stretches from 17 to the end of the draft. Uh, there's, you know, a few small guards in here. There's wings. There's also the centers. You know, we talked about where. Um, what I'm interested here is the Jazz are likely to have uh, a mid-20s pick, you know, something around the 23 to 26 range, um, it being that the worst pick of that Philadelphia, Houston, and Brooklyn pick. It's probably going to be mid-20s, somewhere around there. And then the Jazz are going to have, you know, that, that second pick of Minnesota, Utah that's going to be in that 12 to 16 range. Um, my question here is, is there... Is there enough separation between tier t- tier three, which you've kind of labeled as all-star potential, and then tier four starter rotation level potential to where if you had, say, the, the number 18 pick and you, you package the 18 pick and that mid-20s pick to move up three, four spots to get to 15 or 14, and you know you, that puts you, per your big board, in the Grady Dick... Uh, Chris Murray range is that worth it to you that's a good question um I think easy answer would probably be no if it's okay. just for Grady I mean Grady's ceiling is uh, so Grady Dick is he's he's a, he's a uh nice for your Jayhawks right yep Grady Grady plays for the Jayhawks he's about six seven six eight um he's kind of like a two three guard that he can just shoot the heck out of the ball. And so, I mean, his ceiling is that Kyle Korver, Clay Thompson, J.J. Redick type of guy maybe in the league. Mm. Um, Grady might prove to be – he might show that he can do a little bit more maybe with the ball, but that's kind of where I see him right now. Um, And those guys are are what? Really important role players, right? They're not going to be – a guy that's going to be a number one, number two, maybe not even a number three option on your team if you're a contender in the playoffs. And so I don't know if I'd necessarily consolidate those picks for Grady. Um, I would maybe see if he falls and take him. If you're going to consolidate, um, I would maybe try and take more of a flyer on a guy like Terrence Arsenault or Leonard Miller who plays in the mm-hmm. G League. Again, we're, we're getting back into some more of these kind of 3 and D wing archetypes. Um, so that's, that's probably what I would do if I would consolidate, but if I'm, if to your point, if I'm the jazz, I probably would look to do that anyway. Right. Cause I don't know if the jazz really want to have three first round picks, three rookies on their roster next year. Um, I think that's, that's a nice option to have if you're, you're strapped in terms of, of cap flexibility, but that's not really the Jazz, right? They're going to have a ton of cap flexibility next right. year. Maybe they do, though. Maybe they just take three kids, they bring them to camp, and they see which one. Can we get one or two of these that are going to hit that we can maybe take going forward? Maybe yeah. they trade both of those picks um, and throw that at an asset, a player that's already in the league, bring a better guy back. I have no clue what they, they do. My gut feeling is I doubt they're going to draft all three. Yeah. So... so yeah, I would look to hopefully see if hopefully our our first or our best pick kind of falls around ten ish, eight through twelve, and then maybe you can trade those two further picks back to move up into the late lottery. Um, that's probably what I would do. Um, yeah, I like your train of thought there. 
the other interesting wrinkle about this tier four, kind of this, you know, latter end of the of the first round is you kind of have a, a string of you know your your small guards. You've got Marcus Sasser, uh, you've got Tyrese Hunter, and you've got uh, Javian McCollum. These are all six foot six one small guards. You know, some are very dynamic with the ball. Um, are are you given where the league's going? Given our uh, recent history with small guards, um, or I guess I should say <laughs> guard. We'll, we'll, we'll leave him nameless. Mike's but, small uh, too, though, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So I, I'm really meaning just one who will. Yeah, leave, I know who you're talking leave about. Leave nameless. Um, are you allergic to drafting? You know any of those any of those players? Just just given. You know that their body makeup, where the league's going, or is there a scenario where you're just like, "Hey, I'd be happy to take one of those guys." I think both, honestly. I mean, I do have kind of, I like kind of the, just the great size at every position point that you've made at the beginning that we've hit on. It's just nice to have that there. But we've seen those guys don't work out either, right? We drafted oh, yeah, Dante yeah. Exum for that, right? Dante was your six six athlete at point guard and. Mm-hmm. And hopefully that's not what Nick Smith Jr. turns into or, or Anthony Black, some of these guys. But you don't know. None of us ever really know. But I'm, to, your, to your question, I'm not in love with any three of those guys with Javian. Um, I mean, you could even throw Tyrese Hunter in there for Texas. He's another small six-foot point guard freshman at Texas. Um, one of them could hit, though. I don't know yeah. necessarily which one at this point, but you could take okay. a flyer. Um, maybe he's he's a backup. He's your third string. He You send him to the G League. But none of those guys really jump out to me as guys that I'm super excited about in terms of the Jazz getting. And so, yeah, we kind of get later back into the draft, kind of your 20 through, through, through 30 picks. Right now it looks a little bit more like a crapshoot. Um, sure. And, Maybe you could get lucky and get like Dylan Mitchell, who's kind of a longer guy, six seven at Texas, another freshman. Um, you could get Jalen Hood Shafino, Indiana, kind of another one of those guys. Um, I would probably lean more towards going for more wings. Just give me all the wings, right, and and go that route. But yeah, I think the draft isn't necessarily that deep past 20 in my opinion i think that you're going to have guys kind of scattered throughout there that'll probably hit which i guess you could argue some depth there compared to other drafts but i think it falls off a little bit kind of once we get out out of the late teens well awesome man this has been such an awesome preview I feel like I've learned a ton from you about the draft, about the players, uh, about just comparisons throughout as well. Uh, outside of the big names, and we'll kind of end with this, outside of the big names that we all know and that we've seen highlights on, uh, which two or three guys are you, and, and you've already mentioned one, Nick Smith Jr., but what other guys are you? would you suggest jazz fans pay attention to throughout this process uh, outside of those big names? You're gonna put me on the spot. Um, that's a really good question. Let me see if I've got some some guys here that I have. Yeah, you mentioned Nick Smith Jr. Uh, you know, being one. We didn't really talk a lot about Jarris Walker for whatever reason. No, um, yeah, we didn't. 
Um, Nick Smith Jr., I think he's going to go high. It's just, yep, kind of the same thing. We haven't seen a ton of him, but Jairus might be a guy. So I guess my advice to Jazz fans would pick specific teams. And I've, I've mentioned this as well because you're going to get kind of a good feel for a couple of different guys. So if you watch Arkansas, they, they've got um, Nick Smith Jr. They've got um, Jordan Walsh, who we didn't talk about either. Jordan, I yep. think, might have to come back for another year. And they've got Anthony Black. So Arkansas games, you're essentially you're watching three potential lottery picks. Kentucky with Kaysen Wallace, Chris Livingston, that's probably the guy that I would throw out there in terms of maybe someone that um, people aren't as familiar with. Chris Livingston has had a really slow start. He was someone that I was really high on. Uh, similar to like Cam Whitmore and Jairus Walker, he's he's kind of a big 6'8", 6'9", really um, – NBA ready type body. His shot looked really good, I thought, but he he really hasn't gotten minutes. And so it'd be interesting to see maybe if he kind of pops a little bit more, if he yeah. can break through Calipari's rotation a little bit better. So maybe that's a, another guy to watch. And then Houston. So I would watch Kentucky, Houston, and Arkansas. With Houston, we've got Marcus Sasser, who we talked about. We got Jarris Walker. Did I say Terrence? Terrence Arsenal. I think Terrence uh, Arsenal plays. We mentioned him off offhand. He plays for Houston. I might have said that he plays for Arkansas, but there's another three guys right there. Um, so, in terms, I of like maybe- it though. I like it though. Pegging a couple teams to where, hey, you're watching one game and you get a feel for three, two, three prospects. You can kind of kill two birds with one. So, so I'll throw a couple games out there if you don't mind. And so coming yeah. up, because we got the, people are going to have a little bit more time with the holidays. People are going to be spending time with family. Can maybe just turn the games on. So Houston and Alabama, um, you can see Brandon Miller um, play against Jarris Walker coming up this Saturday on the 10th of December. Um, Kentucky and UCLA play on the 17th, and so we didn't talk about Amari Bailey either, who's another really good freshman guard at UCLA. Um, I like just that team in general. Jaime Hawkins was is a really good guy that might be a second-round pick. He's an older, he's a senior. Um, Tigers on that team too with UCLA. So NBA guys playing against potential NBA guys there. Michigan and North Carolina, you can see Jet Howard play against um, Caleb Love. Um, some of the other guys they have there. Um, and then Nova and UConn I talked about. You're going to see Cam. They play on December 28th. Um, and then I guess you could just probably turn on SEC games. You've got Alabama. Yeah. you got Arkansas. you got Kentucky. And so the SEC is, is full. South Carolina, GG Jackson's in the SEC. People are going to be watching a lot of SEC games this year. And so I would tune into some of those to maybe get – get a feel for kind of what you what you think of of these guys that we've talked about a little bit that's fantastic josh thank you so much and uh and like i said check out uh josh's twitter handle in the podcast description or here on youtube give him a follow um and and see how his board evolves as as we go throughout the process and get closer to the draft thank you so much man for coming on thanks adam appreciate you